This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. All right. Uh, I got John Koontz, uh, Hunt Quietly Podcast regular, uh, uh, head warden for Region 7, Todd Anderson, who's been on the podcast before, an egg producer, rancher, running jerky, all sitting around my kitchen table tonight. Thank you, boys, for taking the time. Um, it's always been my intention to talk more, have more podcasts with large landowners because I see access to uh, privately owned land and landlocked public land is a part of the picture when we talk about maintaining quality non-pay hunting and trying to mend broken relationships there and, and trying to figure out ways to prevent access on those lands from becoming pay to play is something that we got to think very carefully about. We got to come up with ways to incentivize large landowners uh, to uh, allow allow access, what's in it for them? Um, how can we make it mutually beneficial? So, Brennan, I wanted to talk, start out with asking you just could you give us a rough idea? You, your relatives have just down the road from me, not a quarter mile. You you have a the the business center for your for your livestock trucking. Yes, enterprise, that would be the right? side of the business. Okay, yep. so there's you do some you you truck you ship cattle for yourselves and for others, and in addition to that, you ranch. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. Okay, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your ranching enterprise. Okay, the ranching is not a huge operation by any means. You know, we run a moderately sized cow herd across three ranches right now in Custer County. We have, Which is where Miles City is. We're, we're in Custer County right now. You know, we're running three different places, and they're all very good hunting places, but they're not very big. So we don't see a lot of traffic on them, but that is kind of the story there. Okay. And what is, what is the uh, hunting situation there? You're not in block management. We're not in block management. We're not outfitted. We kind of... Very limited allow, very little hunting. Okay. We kind of try to keep our deer herds and elk herds and everything else intact. And during hunting season, we do have a large population of wildlife that does congregate on our place. Because they're getting pushed on there from other adjoining yep. properties. There's a lot of pressure around almost every place. If, for example, the place we have over at Ismay is surrounded by block management and public. So when that time of the year comes around, it's hunted so hard in the surrounding areas that everybody starts calling about the second to third week of season wondering if they can get on because they always see everything piled down in the middle of that place. And I say, you know, they're, they're there for a reason because there's so much pressure in that area. If I let you on, where are they going to go? Mm-hmm. So I typically don't let a lot of people on. I'll let very select people on and they have to meet a criteria of, how well do I know them? Do I trust them to be on the place? Are they going to do what they say they're going to do? Are they going to go on and they're going to take something completely different from what they said they were going to take? Are they going to bring three of their friends and take extra 
Right. Every time they go in there, you know, it really just depends on how well I know the person and, and how, how much trust they built with you. Exactly. A lot of my hunters are either close family members or close friends who have helped in the past. You know, people who have come out when I've needed them to or asked them to to help brand, help gather cows, precondition, you know, things like that that are not hunting related, but they do show up when you need them. Okay, great. So to me, that's a that's an important thing to note that here's a rancher that's talking about people coming to help him when he needs the help. Not when they have time to give it, when he needs the help. And I, and I think that hunters need to, to start to pay a little bit attention to that and give these guys the respect and the help when they ask for it. You have to remember that it is a huge burden to most ranchers to have somebody come to their place and help them because they have no idea if this person knows anything at all. So if they trust you enough to ask you to come and help them, if you want a place to hunt, I think you better show some respect and show up. So, uh, Todd, I know that you and Brendan have worked together on some, uh, like some issues where they're with hunters around Brendan's place or on Brendan's ranches. Can you guys tell us a little bit about this? This is getting a little, we'll get a little bit here into the hunter behavior aspect of, um, trying to maintain access on. Yeah. Yeah. So. Personally, um, I'm a warden captain. I supervise the field wardens. We had a field warden, Frank Blundetto, that had a good relationship with uh, Brendan and, and uh, was working down that country. And I guess, Brendan, maybe you can kind of tell the story and I can kind of fill in from the point where sure the vehicle's running down the road. Yep. So we have a story from hunting. <laughs> this is, a st- and I don't know the story, but I, 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 I seem to think seem to recall that something happened just this year fall 2020 it was actually two years ago okay yeah 20 okay. when was that brennan three three years ago three, yeah, 2019. It's, yeah okay it's been 2019 and then this so this is an open investigation that we're going to talk about okay. and, and it, it's great to talk about it because someone may be able to give us some information on this but yeah well yeah i also know there's something where like we'll get to this but you were babysitting a deer on oh yeah we, yeah too, you, so. you bet you bet and that okay. was just uh but go ahead brennan you kind of well, we can reel back. It was 2019, fall of... I remember that because I still had the ranch across the road leased at yep, the time. Yep, I just finished working a bunch of cows the day before, and I was by myself. I went across the road and trailed some cows out and was going to put them in their fall pasture until the snow flies and they came home. But there was this pickup that was running up and down the road. I'd noticed this deer over in the field just south of my facilities there, and I didn't pay any attention. He was a very nice mule deer, is all I knew, and I continued about my business. I was trailing cows out. I look back across the highway at my driveway, and these guys are parked in the driveway, looking around, driving up and down the road, back and forth. Middle of the day. Middle of the day. This was about 11 o'clock in the morning. I saw them, at one point, drive into my driveway, go up to my building site, turn around, and go out, which is where I got the picture on the camera of their vehicle. Later that night, they never showed back up. I didn't see them again. Presumably, they were going to ask you for permission to... Presumably. Shoot that deer. Which I would have told them no at the time. <laughs> Just because I don't know them and yeah. don't know anything about them. So later that afternoon, I was washing down where I'd worked the cows and cleaning all the facilities up. And I had a pressure washer going, and I hear a gunshot over the pressure washer 
while I'm standing 200 yards from the highway, about what that is, mm-hmm. they had pulled up on the side of the highway, shot out the pickup window, and took off. At that point, I did not see where the downed deer was. I thought it was in maybe part of the neighbor's field, or it had ran, or they missed, because we didn't find it in the daylight hours. But I jump in my pickup, covered in manure and coveralls, and I go down. I meet them on the highway. They're running back north, and I flip around to try to get their license plates, but they're too muddy at that point. And I had called the Tipmont number earlier, right when I got on the road. So that is where my story ends, chasing them down the highway. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, did you find the deer? Yes, we did the next morning in the daylight. It was closer than we thought. It was actually in one of my smaller traps right below my building. Okay. A trap. Yep. So A trap for the those that don't know much about uh, managing cattle is an area where you gather cattle. It's a fenced area where you gather cattle. Very close quarters. Yeah. Yeah. It's a switching area to go possibly from one pasture to the next or to load into a truck, but they call it a trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty brazen. I mean, 200 yards away, they could have, they should have heard the pressure washer. They should have known that the landowner was... Watching. Very, watching. very nearby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this has been something that you guys have been... Yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks as, as well as I can from the point that Brennan lost sight of the vehicle, but, you know, when we get those calls... You know, it's all hands go, right? And a tip month, that's dispatched to us. We're computer dispatched now and on the radio. So we were actually on the road very quick. Um, There was three of us that went that direction. And one of the things that's always, you know, we tell everybody, doesn't matter if it's a landowner or another hunter, is get us a plate. Get us a plate number. You know, try to reduce that conflict, right? Like, because you just don't know. You, you, you don't that's want. Do. You don't want them going up. To the no, no, no. That's what we do. But yeah. But I'm. You know. I won't put words in Brennan's mouth. I'm assuming you wanted to get a plate. That's probably what he was I doing. did. The back plate was muddy, and I'd gone to pass yeah. them in this old pickup. You know, feed pickup is what I had yeah. that day. Had maybe a gallon of fuel left in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just not good. So I get around them. They're doing like 90, 95 mile an hour, and this is unsafe conditions. But I'm trying to get the front plate. Yeah. I, Completely covered in mud. At that point, I caught that it was a Utah plate, and I see. I couldn't yeah. get the particulars of it. I could, I could pick him out of a lineup today, though, because he gave me a two finger wave. Looked at me, and gave me a two finger wave. Oh wow! So this, so this is kind of where this gets good, and this, this is a, this isn't an everyday occurrence for a game warden, but it's not uncommon for this, where you have a landlord that, you know, it, it's it's not a good thing, and they need to go get a plate. He was doing exactly what he should have done. He was. You know, Brandon goes, he goes, ah, this is too dangerous and back off, right? Mm-hmm. But here's what's interesting. There's a little bit of background on this, too. In 2019, we, the easiest way to put this is, is we had horrible luck getting license plates. Landowners, other people would call, and you were the, I'll bet you were number 30 that said, I couldn't read their back plate. It was one of those years we got rain and snow mm-hmm. in the middle of the season, and all those license plates mm-hmm. were covered that. up. It was just weird because, I remember Frank and I talking and going, God dang, these stinking license plates. Like, you just can't read them. And that's all we need. So, kind of what we did was, is we, 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 we were there fairly quick. So, we know that this person got off Highway 59. We know that. Now, there's not a lot from Brandon's Ranch to um, Mount City. I don't know. There's what, maybe 
two, three, three, turn-offs. three right. turn-offs. The unfortunate thing is, and, they, and they're like they're just dirt roads that yeah, yeah, wind yeah. around, maybe yeah. end up somewhere, but right, right, and then about twelve mile, yeah, twelve mile, yeah. So there's there's basically three ways they can go. Now that said, any of those three roads would take you into the sticks. I mean, you could if you took a two track or you dumped in behind a you know an empty ranch house or something. That's you know we thought for sure we were gonna we were excited because we thought we we're gonna get this guy. Like we know what we uh, Brandon gave us a vehicle description. It was a Ford F one fifty, dark colored Utah plates. That's a lot for us, especially when we're all headed to one direction. Unfortunately, side. They, they, they just disappeared. So all wardens were on deck. We actually sent out an ATL across the state uh, for all game wardens and highway patrol to look for a vehicle matching this description. Never happened. You know, and, and, it's, and it, what's really interesting is, is when we do that, we don't do it very often because you don't want to, you know, send something out like that unless you really want these people. And we really wanted these people. And so anyway, to, so... A little bit of backstory on that. So we worked all night. We worked about three, four in the morning, and then we checked the hotels. We do just our procedures when we're looking for people. Didn't have any luck. So the next day, Brandon, I think maybe you gave Frank the um, the camera. Within a couple days, we yeah. had we had a, we had a picture on the trail camera of and it was a the plate. You could tell it was Utah. I guess you, that, that's it. So what's interesting is we did some calling around and we started calling our partners, other agencies and stuff. And they all, they kind of led us to the FBI, you know, try these guys because they have software that can, you know, okay. get a better view of this plate. Yeah. So I ended up calling Salt Lake City, which is our regional FBI. And I ran into a guy that was doing a major crime. And, I mean, really major. And I talked to him. I actually got a person. I couldn't believe it. And he goes, I'm dropping what I'm doing. You, you sent it to me in the email. Get on it right now. And he did. Like, instantly. I don't know what he was doing, but it wasn't a poaching case. I know that. Yeah. And he instantly dropped what he was doing, and he was a hunter. He told me that. He goes, that pisses me off. And he just said that. And he goes, I'm going to get on this. And he was a hunter. Wow. It was amazing. So yeah. he got on it. But anyway, unfortunately, we could get one or two digits, and we couldn't do it with confidence to even say that. But anyway, so... The, the beauty of this case is we're not giving up. We're not going to get... And this deer was a 184-inch mule deer. And, and that's a big mule deer. It was a gorgeous buck. Rutting, sitting there, just doing his thing. That, you know, for game wardens, that's, that upsets us. Sure. Yeah, like right? 30, 40 does. 30, 40 does, right off the highway, from the vehicle. Everything you can do wrong, this guy did wrong. And so these are the ones, these are priority cases for game wardens. These are the ones we want to catch. And we're not going to give up on this. But the beauty of this. What does not giving up look like, though, when you have no information? You would be surprised how many cases we make five to ten years after they happen. There's no statute of limitations on possessing unlawful possession of wildlife. So we don't, by, what I mean is by we don't give up, is that if by this podcast or whatever reason or however it would happen if somebody hears something um you wouldn't believe what people will come that we've had the same types of people come back to the same area five years later yeah and so but and when you are reaching out to the like a a huge platform like my audience you know yes when you like yes (laughs) the reach is big so i think so but here's the thing you should check your phone right now (laughs) So I guess where I would go with this is, the beauty is, Brendan, what he said is key. He could pick that guy out of a lineup. 
Right. I don't, you know, from a game worn standpoint. Have you guys done the thing where you tried to draw them out? Well, you can't. It's tough because we don't even know where to start, right? But if we ever get that one call, one person calls and says, you might want to look at this fella or these mm-hmm. people. Then, then we got how, how often, how often does law enforcement catch up with these guys? Mm-hmm. Whatever time from the crime to when you catch them, does it come from social media? A lot. A lot. So it's like... Yeah, could you tell us... One day, you're you're sitting there looking at it, and you're like, oh, look at this. Or somebody says, hey, look at this. Yeah. I would say, you know, our our TIMOP program is basically our crime stoppers where people call in to report violations. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but the the amount of TIMOPs that go, this guy posted this, is every year goes up and up and up. Okay, so how would it... Would it be a... Typical way somebody would incriminate themselves online like that. Like, you wouldn't believe it. Let's just put it that way. People will put on social media, and I'm not, I mean, it's not just, it's not just game violations, but in the law enforcement world, it's incredible what people will put on. Sure, but uh, being the, yeah, this is a yeah. hunting podcast. Yeah. You, Are you asking like a specific, like, what's the. Yeah, like you, when I, when I, I when I, uh, hold my nose and look at what people put online mm-hmm. um, on their social media feeds in mm-hmm. terms of harvested game. Mm-hmm. What I see is them gloating over an animal on the computer. Yeah. How do you know that there's something nefarious going on behind that? Well, there, there's a couple different things there. Many times what people will do, they'll report that person um, just on spite. So in other words... So they'll... Somebody will look at that and be like, I know where he I, was. Yeah, I know where he was. I you know, I know where that deer is at. And then we do our investigation and, and most of the time it's it's nothing, right? It's like okay. nothing. But most of the time when somebody says, I know that or not most of the time, the times that it's valuable yeah. is when someone says, I know that deer, here's a picture of it. And it's it was on the hoof December fifth. Oh, after season's yes. over or yes. whatever. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So stuff like those yeah. are the things where people will post that stuff for the grip and grin, and then it comes back to haunt them because okay. there's there's really solid evidence. There's there's it, it, the gamut from violations on the internet and social media go from here's here's one that we get a lot. Um, they're not wearing hunter orange. Okay, we we get those tip months a lot, and. Basically, what you know, the hunter orange law is you have to wear it while hunting. We're not enforcing people that are doing a grip and grin to take the orange off and then they put it back on after the hunt. But that's an example of, of the cases we get, in other words, off social media. Wait, is it okay you know, to take the orange off and take yeah. the picture and then yeah. put it? Okay. Yeah, and we get a lot of calls on that. And it's not something we're going to force. It's nothing that's you know high on our priority list. And a lot of people do it just because they don't want to wear the orange in the photo. Yeah. And, yep. and it's, yeah, and there's just a lot of that. But. How, how often have you found. An individual in the same calendar year, in the same state, posing with two different deer, clearly, yeah, and finding they, that they've, yeah. they've shot maybe two or three, two or three bucks, and it's obvious that, it, looking at the pictures, that they've got two or three different deer. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's that's not something that happens a lot, but it does. And you know, it, it's all about, and it's kind of what you t- what we talk about is that. On the social media side of it, it's the clicks, right? It's like mm-hmm. this, you know, look what I did. And that's what driving that's what drives most of this stuff. Most of this stuff that you see where it's it's a, a person poaching, 
you know, whatever that, whatever you want to call poaching, is generally driven by, it's not even so much greed, it's wanting to be liked. In yeah. a weird sense, you understand? Like, it's like... Attention-seeking. Attention-seeking, and it's it's a competition. Um, and I wouldn't even call it, you know, just being a dumb kid. I mean, these some of these folks are, they're adults. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, but, you know, back to Brennison, just real quick, one thing I do want to bring up is that we get a lot of calls from landowners like that in not necessarily that situation, but we do get a lot of calls where um, landowners are like, okay, there's this vehicle. I didn't get a really good look at it, but there something's off. And these ranchers know they're on, they're on the land every day and they're seeing these vehicles, right? And they're seeing these trends like, and sometimes like, Oh, I know that guy. He's going to go hunt the BLM or, you know, he's going to hunt the neighbors or whatever, but it's that slow roller. It's just those. And I'm sure you were like, ah, something's up with these guys. And so, you, you know, those are the calls we get. But it just doesn't take very much and we can make a case. So, yeah. There's two parts to the social media thing. One is it's an avenue for catching poachers. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other one that we just kind of touched on a bit. But it also causes poaching. I would say it does in, in the fact that it causes this competition, this, yeah. this unhealthy competition, and people are yeah. so have so are are so motivated to shoot something for social media that mm-hmm. I did a podcast uh, uh, early on. One of the earliest episodes was about all of the TV people and YouTube people that have gotten caught for poaching over the years. Mm-hmm. And we profiled probably eight or ten of them. There's been some since then. The Bomar thing. I don't know if you heard about the Bomar. No, not the speed on that one. Okay, this couple that are all over TikTok and they just mm. got busted. And oh. now they, they, they are on probation. They can't brandish a firearm anymore or bow mm. for some number of years. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think if I, I think that. I could probably poach the rest of my life mm-hmm. and never get caught. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's you, if you got two brain cells to rub together, it'd be pretty easy. You mm-hmm. know, even though you're an awesome law enforcement no, officer, I, I, I'm not there's a lot that. of country out yeah. there. Yeah. And the fact that you could, that there's documented well in excess of a dozen cases where TV people have gotten caught mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. Uh, poaching. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine how many that there are that didn't get caught? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a stat we'll never know. Yeah. You know, we'll never know that much. You know, to put a little shine on it a little bit, is that these are these don't happen very often. You know, like, what, what especially with this. It's social media stuff. I probably don't have a good feel for that, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, you know, the, the influencers that are getting caught poaching I, pro- I probably don't know much of that i would if i if we had any here i personally haven't dealt with that um in my job not to say it can't happen though it yeah does, obviously it does happen yeah but most of the like i said most of the folks are grit are good folks and but what you're talking about and this could be a different podcast is we have we have an investigator that is really in tune to what we call the one percent the 1% of the, the hunters that are just extreme hardcore poachers. And he's, he's got a great profile. And it's very interesting when you take a deep dive. We that. talked about this a little bit on the last yeah. time I had you on. The, the, a prof, the, the profile, the, 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 the consistent or somewhat 
consistent characteristics of somebody yeah. that's like a serial poacher. And they really are. And if you look at, and I can't speak for uh, the warden that does this, but you know, I, I, it's pretty safe to say that those same things that drive serial serial killers drive serial poachers. It's the it's the need to have it, to own it, to to take it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 intense, to be honest. And but that is so rare. Yeah. But, you know, those, I'm only almost, almost more sympathetic. I am more sympathetic to those people because that just seems like some kind of neuroses. It is. It, 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 but the guy that poaches to keep his get enough content for his TV show or whatever, mm-hmm. or satisfy his his sponsors or whatever that 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 doesn't that doesn't seem like a neuroses as much as it's just perverse. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like in a way, and to me, it's it's worse. But and you know, it's for for a game warden. Like again, I'll speak for myself. I would. I don't think we target those folks, but it wouldn't matter. It's like. We just want to catch them. Yeah, you know, it's just if you're going to do that, then we'll catch you. Yeah, yeah. couple yeah. couple more things I want to ask about with this poaching stuff, and then I want to talk a little bit about this group that John and I have started to facilitate public access um, with Brendan to get his feedback on it and and where he thinks it might be improved and what he thinks the potential for it is. Um, so. I'm curious to hear about this buck that was po- poached by the airport here right in town mm-hmm. in Miles City this year. What mm-hmm. was the story on that? Yeah, so that was that was another tip mock call that we got. And I really can't go in depth on that because that's still in the system. But we we, we have a suspect that was cited for that, you know, right behind the airport in. Okay. Yeah, yeah I really can't go into it. What I, what I heard what I heard was that one of the people that lived there heard the shot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We we can't do our job without Without the public, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could, but not near as effective. So this is this is that's a great point because I've always said, when it comes to hunters and it comes to private landowners, whether you had permission to be there or you saw something that happened as you drove by, mm-hmm. it's always very important to get a hold of law enforcement and let them know what goes on. Because the bad actors, so tell me if you think I'm wrong, Brendan, but the bad actors in this group that pulled shit like that on you only harden your heart to people that want to come and actually ask you and show you some respect. It hardens your heart if, if these people aren't caught. They're, they're pulling that shit, and you're like, nope, nope, I'm not doing it. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you shut down just because it's like a... A class thing. Everybody's going to suffer for one person's. Yeah, so it's military style justice. Hey, yep. look, you screwed up, so now everybody's getting punished. Yep. Yep. Well, I. It's. The problem is, is they put you in that situation. And you don't want to be in that situation as a landowner. You got enough going no. on as it is. No. So then, for something like this to come along and it just ruins your day, so you just shut down and you say, you know what, I don't really feel like putting myself through any more of this. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and I would guess at some point, do you have many people actually come to your door and ask if they can hunt? You know, I can't say that I do. Mm-hmm. So you really don't. Nope. And so, so I know with some landowners, they get so sick and tired of people that they become really highly irritated when people show up. But you haven't had to face that yet because you just don't have anybody come and ask. I don't. I think the word is well enough out that people just don't even bother. Yeah, but for the like the non-resident that doesn't know you, right? I mean, so uh, clearly this guy from Utah, 
Um, he didn't know you, and so he didn't know if you were going to, you know, he could have taken the chance to come and ask, and you might have said, you know what, guys, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. You might have, you know, I mean, there's always that chance, but he chose not to. Yep. My point being is nobody's actually coming to ask you and build a relationship with you. Maybe, maybe they show up in June and say, you know, uh, we came to Montana. We're thinking about coming out hunting. Do you allow any hunting? And you might have a conversation with this person. At one point, you might think, you know, they're pretty good if you might want to come back. Or maybe you won't. But nobody's, nobody's reaching out to you anyway. No, they're not. The biggest. Well, some one component of that is there's there's got to be a lot of people like me out there. I mean, I, I hunt up in the mountains with my llamas, you know. But, like, I I just, I, maybe it's a, a pessimism I have that's undue pessimism, but I just feel like every, no one's going to say yes to see, me. And I, I, I mean, maybe 20 years ago somebody would say yes to me. Yeah. But, but see, I don't, I don't possess that because, because I'm a person that I hunt a lot, but I hunt close to home. I hunt most, most every weekend and some weekdays. And I have no problem with asking ranchers that I don't even know. Okay. Through roundabout conversation, could I hunt? And just today, I met two guys, ranchers that I didn't know, had a conversation with them about hunting. And at the end of the conversation, they both alluded to the fact that, you know, if you need a place to hunt, let us know. Now, these are people you're doing business with, right? Well, no. Actually, these two guys I've never done business with. Oh. Uh, they're from a neighboring town that, well, when I say neighboring, it's 90 miles away. I don't ever hunt in that area anyway. But the just of the matter was, just in conversation and showing them that there is respect for landowners and that I understand. You had a discussion with them about the sorts of things we're talking about, about right the, now. All these yeah. things, these exact things. Yeah, okay, so how did you get this talking to these guys just for the listeners? Well, so they, they came to my shop and they were they, they put on a rodeo in, in their town and they were asking for donations for this rodeo. And I donated to the rodeo okay. and struck up the conversation about hunting and... Um, and it went from there, and but it, it it wouldn't have had to be me. It could have been anyone, anybody gotcha. showing them some respect and understanding why they don't allow hunting. I, I mean, there's not there is not one landowner that I would disagree with when he tells me why he doesn't allow hunting. Some of them are outfitted because they're mad at at, at people. Some of them just don't allow hunting at all. And I can completely understand because hunters do a really good job of screwing it up for themselves. They got to remember they need to show utmost respect. You know, a neighbor not too far from Brendan told me a story some years ago that even in the 60s, he had people coming out to hunt his ranch. And as it turns out, these people owned a hardware store. And these people came out Year after year after year. And every year when they came, they brought things like... uh, One year they showed up with a bunk of two-by-fours that had gotten old and some of them were kind of warped and bent. But they brought them to the ranch and gave them. Um, In their hardware store, they sold tires. And they they had a line of tires that they quit making. They had five or six tires. They brought them out and gave them to the rancher. Even if he just put them on a damn trailer in the yard. 
They brought hardware. They brought welding rods and, and things. This is so easy for people to recognize and do. And it goes such a long way with ranchers because it's all about respect. Don't think for a minute that you're going to show up and tell these guys where you want to hunt because you checked it out on Onyx or some other thing. And they're going to be like, yeah, no, you're not going. Why not? Why, you know, it's, it's the tire store guy needs a place to hunt. Bring some tires out. The hardware store guy. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It has to be common sense. And I, and I know, Brendan, am I blowing smoke or is that right? No, just it's the respect thing more than anything. It's showing you that, you know, maybe they do care that you're out there 365 busting your hind end trying to scratch out a living. Yeah. I mean, if I ever could say something to hunters, I would say, you guys better change your attitudes. You better build relationships and just do what's right. And this thing can turn around. Yeah, Matt, I, just real quick. I think Brennan just explained exactly what you're wondering is that, and I don't have stats on this, but we hear all the time, this game warns in, in the department, that everything's leased up, everything's locked down. Brennan just told you who hunts his place. Yeah. Who are those people? The mm -hmm. people he trusts and they made a relationship with. Yeah. There are a pile of ranches all across yeah. Montana. That are like Brandon. Yeah. People that have family, friends, and people they trust that get to hunt the ranch. No one else might get to hunt the ranch, but they do. Mm -hmm. Right? So how do those people get there? They did it. They did, they right. did that. Yeah. It, it, they weren't gifted with it. Maybe the, maybe it was a relative or whatever. And on that note, that big deer, Brandon, that was one of your friend's daughters. Mm -hmm. She was going to, that was the deer you had saved for her. Yep. Right? You know, we're a huge opportunity. Wait, which kids. big deer now? The, the one from that the Utah guy. Oh, that, that what? Okay, yes. you, okay. I remember that. Yeah, that just popped mind for that. Oh yeah, I remember that because I remember yeah. you telling me that. You know, this was a friend of yours. Not, I don't think it was a family member. I think it was a friend's was a friend. first daughter. You were saving that deer for her to come shoot that, right? Yep. So that person and their daughter got permission to hunt, but and I don't know the background on it. It really doesn't matter. But someone at some point met you. Got to know you, you trust them, and guess what? They get to hunt the place. Every, every ranch isn't outfitted in what's Montana. That? Right. Every ranch is in block yeah. management. So, like Brendan said, this 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 guy, mm -hmm. that he was kind of saving that deer. They they come back to your yeah. place every year. Sure. I'm sure he's a friend. So yeah. yeah. So once again, here's a rancher. He's not outfitted. He doesn't he doesn't partake in block management. But yet he's allowing what I call reasonable public access mm -hmm. based on the attitude of the individual that wants to come and hunt. Mm -hmm. there's, all, there's all kinds of it out there, guys. You just got to jerk your head out of your ass mm -hmm. and pay attention. Um, but one thing I'd say about all of this, though, is that there is some opportunity out there like that, but it's gotten way less. Oh, it's harder and harder. It's gotten get, way less because the because... There are way more people willing to pay money oh, yeah. for an, uh, an exclusive opportunity at Big Game now than ever in the Western United States. Um, and so it's it's tougher now. We have the hunting celebrities and hunting TV and hunting social media. Well, thing well, that, that. That's kind of where I set myself different. I refuse 
to capitalize on wildlife. Oh, I don't see. Think you, it's a yeah, you have some interesting principles because you're concerned about um, the wildlife having something to go when it's getting overpressured in hunting season. Quite, quite a conservation minded, yeah, absolutely individual. Which so is there? Are are you one of a kind in that respect, or do you know other people that? There's other, other people like that. Few and far between. Yes, I mean. I actually, you have some other neighbors right there that are yes. very much like that. Yes. The area he lives in has quite a handful of neighbors that are very much like that. Okay. And our wildlife populations do show. Oh yeah, yeah. You guys have got a great pocket right there. What it, you know, what the results of that are. But I don't. I will never accept money for a wildlife trade. You know, it's not ours to sell. <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. You know, if anything, we're stewards of the land. And we're there to manage it so that. We can run our cow herds and the wildlife still have a place to go. You know, there's a balance there that we have to keep in order to keep ourselves in business, first off. And second off, we have to keep the population of the world happy with how the world looks. So, so interesting note to that. You're is, saying by being good managers of the wildlife that, that um, translates into society looking beneficially on what you do, yes. favorably on yes. what you do. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so an interesting note to that is uh, my son did some work for BLM some years ago. Uh, he was doing some uh, uh, sage-grouse-lect mapping. And he always told me that he noticed that when he drove onto a ranch that had a lot of wildlife on it, and not just game animals, but non-game as well. He always noticed that the cattle and the ranch looked so much better than the ones that weren't taken care of. And I really believe there's a lot. If you start to notice ranches that have deer, they've got songbirds, they've got grouse, they've got pheasants. The cattle generally look great, and there's a reason, because it all works together. You think I'm right, Brendan? 100%. You know... I'm going to side note a little bit here, you know, sidestep. There is the mindset that these guys from out of state are coming in and buying up these big plots of land to make into their mule deer slash elk reserves. Yep. Right. They're kicking the cattle out of there. And what they don't realize is when they're doing that, they're taking away all that fresh green fall growth. Mm -hmm. When we pull our cows off of summer pasture, you get the fall rains, you get a nice green undergrowth that comes back without all that hard dry grass in the way. And that's when you get to see a lot of your big deer herds, your elk come in, everything like that. And what they're doing by leaving these places ungraced is they're kind of pushing these animals closer to us. Is what oh. we're noticing. You know, we're seeing a lot more elk every time. I well, agree yeah, with you more. I guess another way to say it is these these systems, this uh, mixed grass, short grass prairie, evolved under grazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very unnatural to have the, those areas. I mean, it used to be bison, now it's cattle. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, uh, yeah. Um, I want to leave some time to move into Montana Hunters for Access, this group that John and I started, because I'm really interested in Brendan and getting your take on it. And like this conversation has already gotten me thinking about a way like to couch it. So what we've established a little bit is as we've talked is that developing relationships, hunters developing relationships with landowners, developing trust with landowners um, will be a, would help 
will help stem the tide of everything getting privatized and leased up. Um, and I, I think of this, what we're doing here with Montana Hunters for Access, as a way for people that maybe they're maybe they're not gregarious, outgoing sorts of people. Maybe they're very uncomfortable, as am I, about going up and talking to some a stranger. I don't like going up to a ranch house and banging on the door. It makes me extremely uncomfortable. Um, but a way for those sorts of people on a grander scale, lots of people, to give back, show respect, develop the relationships, and try to um, uh, do what it takes to encourage landowners to log public access. That's the way I'm looking at this, is that people that are concerned about access could sign on to this thing that we're doing, get involved with it, and it takes away a lot of the barriers of, like, like I say, coming out here in June and banging on doors or whatever. Um, and what this thing is, is what our group is doing is we're having a, we're, we're, we, we raise, one thing we do is we raise money to buy appreciation gifts for ranchers of uh, feed, cash, cash shelters, shelters closers, what have you, to, and, and, and we, we dole that stuff out as thank yous, thank you gifts for people being enrolled in block management. I want to back up and say, I understand that block management is not going to work for every ranch and that you're not in it. You know, it depends a lot on the production system, the size of the ranch, where the ranch is located. So I'm not, I'm bringing this up as somebody like to get your perspective on whether this could work with some production systems, with some ranches, um, and whether it would be enough to entice people to stay in the program. So, or get involved in the program. Um, the other thing we do, so there's that piece. And then we have these block management appreciation dinners uh, across the state of Montana where people that participate come in, they get a free meal, they there's there's a, there's FWP buys, uh, get, uh, presents that get, gifts that get raffled out, um, and that we're just trying to augment that with with more stuff that we give these people to say, look, this this is coming from the hunting community. We raise these dollars from hunters that appreciate what you do, you putting up with the hassle of having us on your place. Um, and just as another way to give back, you know, block management pays a little bit, but you, in many cases you can get way less hassle and, and more money by going with an outfitter. So, and then the other thing you want to do that I, I wonder about is wonder to get, want to get your take about. So there's the, just the thank you gift component, but also we're going to be organizing work days. So we're going to be working closely with FWP on this, like to identify ranches that need help. Uh, we had a fire and now we got to replace all the clips on the wire. Or we got to replace the wire. We, uh, th this place has 10, 15 pivots and half the nozzles are clogged and we're going to get a crew out there to work on that. Picking up trash. What else, John? Well, so one of the things we did was we had a, we had a block management ranch that, uh, 
had about, about a mile and a half of fence, this old fence. It was falling down. He wanted it out of there. He was doing some, some different pasture. He was actually going from farming to pasture ground. He wanted the fence removed. There was about 15 of us that day. Four hours, we removed a mile and a half of fence, separated the steel post from the wood post, wound up the wire, done. The man was completely, he was very skeptical in the beginning. He was like, what do you guys want? He's, he's like, me? what do you yeah. want? And he yeah. was like, I don't even, most of you guys don't even know how to work. <laughs> I don't think a single guy that was there on that work project has been there to hunt since. Nope, I don't think so. But what was, what was really neat about it was, uh, we, we cleaned it up, and he was dumbfounded. He fed us lunch. He thanked us. And he, he looked right at everybody there and said, any one of you guys ever want to come back and hunt this ranch, come back and hunt. I don't know that anybody's been there. I've been back to fish. Uh, but I don't know that anybody's been there to hunt. Sadly enough, he left the Black Black well, Bears program a year, anyway. A year later, <laughs> he had some hunters tell him, that they were going to hunt a part of his ranch after he told them that he was moving cattle through there that day and he asked that they not go there. And they said, no, no, you have to let us. We're signing up and that's where we're hunting. Those guys got escorted off the ranch and not another block management hunter went there. Places leased out to actually, uh, I believe, some kind of a TV show host guy now. And that's it. Now, he has stated to me that he would allow those guys to help that day to come and hunt. But to me, I feel like, you know, he had to make a choice. I respect him for that. Even though I've been offered that I could come back and hunt, not going to do it. He leased it out to some people. They paid fair money, whether I like it or not. So there's a negative example. There's a negative example. So we have also a positive. But, but the, the positive effort that we went through was well received and would have been fine. But the negative bullshit from the poor actor hunters caused the downfall. So this is right back to what I've always said was there needs to be more teeth in the law when these guys get caught doing stuff. No more of this $150 fine or this other bullshit. We're talking... Well, what these guys did wasn't even illegal. Well, I realize that. But 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 that alone, that alone is, a, is an ethical poor choice that maybe they should have went through some kind of an ethics class to validate their tag. This way they know if they pulled something like that, they don't get to come back. There's got to be some legislation with some teeth in it. And I think both Brendan and Todd can, can, can extend on that to where something needs to happen because the punishment for poor acting ain't there. So we also, we also have a one positive example. Todd and I were involved in another work project, again, working on fence uh, on the McRae Ranch uh, this year. Mm -hmm. And I... I don't know if it was you. I can't remember if it was you. I think it was you that told me that. That What's his first name? Clint. 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 McRae, he told, I believe you, that mm -hmm. if it wasn't for groups like yours, and mm -hmm. this was the Warden Association, Pheasants Forever was involved, mm -hmm. I was there, mm -hmm. um, 
doing that kind of showing that they valued it enough to come down and do that kind of work <laughs> that he would have been done with done with Black Man. Yeah, no, that, that's yeah, he absolutely did. You know, one of the things that you're talking about, John, in in this is Brandon. I think you have some. This is valuable input from you. Is one of the reasons we have these conflicts, and we've talked about this, is there's a disconnect from production agriculture kids. So when I was a kid, I, I wasn't. I you know I grew up working on ranches and farms. All my friends were ranchers and farmers, so I got to eat meals with those folks. I helped them do chores, all that stuff. There's such a disconnect on what a hunter thinks a rancher is. Yes. They 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 think a rancher is Yellowstone, the movie. That's, right. Honestly, and, and that's the easiest way to put it. But really, the truth of it is, the fall is one of the busiest times for someone raising cattle. Yep. And so you take that not knowing and putting them in the situation. Sometimes they're put at a disadvantage because they don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know that this person's busy. They don't know. Uh, they just don't know what it takes to run an operation like that. Yep. So they sometimes do, like, what's the big deal? There's cows. Well, you know, what's the big deal? They just, <laughs> they don't get it. It's a big deal when someone has something to do plan for the day. And now they got to bring in cows that were pushed out by some idiot hunters, right? Yep. So that's, and we can have this conversation more, but there needs to be some education. And I'm not talking like you have to do this. Maybe that's the way you do it. I don't know. I, but, I, I've been lobbying for that. With and maybe that's state. the way you yeah. do it. But what I, in my opinion, like nobody's going to, like the worst of the worst, the people that are leaving the gate open, shitting next to the signing box and driving on the muddy roads are not going to take a voluntary class on how Correct. to... But then they don't get to go. Yeah. You that, no, that's what I'm saying. This yeah. shouldn't be voluntary. Right. It, it should shouldn't be. be. you got to take it to validation be tag or you're staying in the motel room. Yeah. Re- the reason or yeah. maybe not volu- validate your tag, but at least hunt private lands made available through government programs yeah. or whatever. One know? of the reasons I know Bren cares about this is because you called me last fall. Or we had a conversation about you know the the deer in your yard this year, but you saw those signs up and you appreciated that. You appreciated those signs. Ask permission, and, and you told me we have to educate. Like we need to do a better. You wait, FWP put signs. Yes, yeah, so we put those signs up, and that was that was our director in our department made a concerted effort to do that, and was to, to put the, you know ask permission, respect the landowner. Those things they they do help, but it's one of those things where your organization working with landowners to, to, and I don't know what that looks like, but they need to understand the basics of ranching. And I'm not talking about the Yellowstone Ranch, right? I'm talking about the guy that flies into the airport. I'm talking the guy about the family that, you know, goes to the sale barn. Mm-hmm. That's, so just, yeah, go ahead. I'll, yeah. Go no, ahead no, please. I just, I think that maybe I'm off. Basically. Okay. Enough preliminaries. We want the answer to the que- <laughs> question, Brendan, then we can move on. Yeah. To sorry. Others. So here's, that's, that's the model. We show appreciation. We, we try to uh, build relationships by, through these work projects um, where anybody can participate what do you see there? I think you have great intentions, but I think you get a lot of negative that's going to come with it. You know, obviously what you're doing is great. For guys like you, high respect hunters, you know, you're going to try to build a relationship, cultivate that relationship with the rancher, landowner, farmer, whatever. But with that, you know, the goal is to enroll 
a piece of property in an access program like block management. Or right? keep them enrolled. Or keep them enrolled. Yeah. For me, the incentive would be to enroll initially. So what I see there is now it's not me managing who's in and out of my place, my dooryards, you know, mm-hmm. dealing around my livestock, my animals, horses, whatever. You know, it certainly opens up a bigger door for people you don't know. It's not just the people who are going to come out and roll fence up or, you know, clean pivot nozzles or whatever that you're letting in. They're, you're going to have that crowd that rides your shirt tails in. No oh, it's good. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. So, so this is all of the things we try to work through, but I think it's really important for ranchers to realize, and I find some that don't realize this, that when you're involved with block management, you still have a hundred percent right to control the access to your property. Some do not understand this, and there are some what I call evil people out there telling ranchers that that if you go with my program to lease your land, I think you're talking about land trusts. Yeah, well, I call them land bust, but whatever. Anyway, so the long story short is. Uh, block management still gives you the right. You, you can have hunting Monday and Tuesday if you want. You can have hunting on the weekends. You, you can, can sign the people up yourself. You they, sign, they can sign the people up. Or the, the block management office. I mean, there's so many options. But but still, I understand what you're saying was you don't know the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Let's say, for instance, that you said, you know what, I'm going to. I'm going to enroll in block management, but the prerequisite to hunters coming to my place, they have to come and meet me at least a year before they show up. Uh, and, 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 and block management office, you know the rules. So, hey, maybe block management office can say, you know, we've got this ranch, the Jerky Ranch, which is a little little south of Mile City. Um, if you're really interested in hunting, um, they're going to allow hunting, but you have to come and meet the landowner a year ahead of time. I, I mean, I, and this is so, this is so reaching for an answer, but does that sound completely stupid to you? No, I think it's a step in the right direction, definitely. I mean, there's got to be a direction for us, for people. I think, and Todd, maybe you can say yay or nay to this, but I think a majority of the hunters have the heart, they don't have the tools and the know-how. And if they had that, maybe they could culture relationships with guys like Brendan. Maybe they, you know, I know some of your neighbors, I'm not going to name their names, but they have the same, I believe, thoughts that you have. I know most of the, all of those ranchers there, and I know they think the same way you do. I'm going to add a twist for you okay. here. And I don't know how far off topic I'm going to get here, but it is something that is I'm not alone in. I'm speaking for a group of people who are landowners yep. in this. Another downturn of block management is production, agriculture, and I'm just going to generalize and say the government do not have the best relationship. Right. Especially in the new age, you know, right yep. now. And the biggest thing we're seeing... Like FWP. Not necessarily FWP, but they are on the list for this reason, and I will give you the reason why. 
I, myself, and several others, I know a lot of people who've been in my same situation, have put in for a 799-20 elk tag, bull yep. with landowner preference, with the bonus points, every year, year after year after year, we fix the fences, we feed the elk the hay, we let people on to hunt the elk. We can't draw a tag ourselves. So why correct, would I open it up for anybody else? Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. And you can name him if you want. There's only been one bull elk killed on your place. Yep. And 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 if you want to name him, that's fine. <laughs> but I know the person, and he did what for you? He worked very hard for not a lot of money for a long time. For a long time. I can remember calling him to see what he was doing, and he said, I'm in the bunkhouse right now waiting for a calf to come out. <laughs> he would night calve in the worst weather. There you go. You know, he and, was out in 30 below checking every 5 to 10 minutes. Yep, and, <laughs> and, and, and he sent me a picture one night of him standing over a bull elk that I know he shot on your place. Yep. And he was unbelievably like he was by himself. He was How many nights had he hunted in rain and camped out? And was miserable and almost ready to give up. And I said, dude, you know the elk are coming there. You have to be there when they show up. Mm-hmm. And, and the story was, he went there that night. He, he, he nestled himself into a, a cedar bush. It was just about time to leave. And he didn't, wasn't anything on the hay meadow. And he kind of peeked over the ridge. And there was, what, six, seven of them standing there? Yep, bull elk come out of the trees. Bull elk come out of the trees. They were not even 100 yards from him. Yep. He picked one out. He shot it twice. I couldn't have been more prouder of the individual because the bullet holes were damn near touching. Mm-hmm. He never would have had the opportunity. He earned it. 100%. He, he earned it. Mm-hmm. And I tell him this all the time, and he doesn't take advantage of it. He earned a lifetime of opportunity. And he is so he is so thankful to you. And he never, I, I mean, I, you know him as well as I do. Oh, He's yeah. probably one of your better friends. Absolutely. And and he would just never burn the bridge. And he, 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 he even's like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I respect Brendan. He, he, and, and he likes his mule deer and he likes his elk. And uh, I was able to kill one and that's it. Mm-hmm. To be fair, he also was sleeping in his tent one night when the herd of elk ran over his tent. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool story. On the way in. Yeah. That's a great story. That yeah. makes me feel really good, actually. I think in that's the ultimate example of someone doing the right thing. Yeah. That's like yeah. And he's always welcome back, you know, but he's just in today's society, he's got this fear that he's gonna overstep boundaries. Yep. Mm-hmm. But but he's always been that way. He's always been one of these people that's yep. been that way. But back to that, you, you you made a comment, and it's true, is most the vast majority of hunters, and you hear this all the time. And sometimes it's almost a cliche, are good people, but they really are. Like we, 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 we talk to those people every day at our job, and gosh, they're just good people. But that said, it's they're just naive, or they, they're not educated on... They're not, fr- they're not educated on how fragile this is. Correct. That's exactly We right. have yeah. six million acres now. It used to be seven yep. um, in block management yep. that everybody could hunt. You know, now, so now it's six. In the last two years, Land Trust, this for profit company in Bozeman, has locked up 400,000. Mm-hmm. The thing is incredibly fragile. Mm-hmm. I don't think that any amount of individual people 
like just making a relationship in is going to save it. It's going to take the hunting community writ large getting involved yep. and coming together and doing the groundwork mm-hmm. that it takes to do uh, at, at at a minimum, maintain six million acres. Yep. So, I, I, so I want to point something out. This individual that was able to kill this elk on his ranch was not raised on a farm. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he uh, he was involved with FFA. He was not raised on a farm. Mm-hmm. He he was trusted enough. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brendan. Tonight, Cav, your heifers. Never having done that, he learned what he knew from Brendan. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, the, there's a story where where he had uh, he had. Uh, 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 this is all great, but I think we need to explore the potential for bringing hunters together that don't know ranchers. Right. Yeah, but what and, I'm saying is, you whether don't have or to not, ranching or how, to learn it. Right. Right. But how do we this thing that we're talking about? Like, I know it doesn't work. For, won't work for a lot of people. Mm. Obviously, it will not. But obviously, there's like somebody that's enrolled in block management in 2022 isn't going to be less apt to sign up in 2023 if we give them a calf shelter and do a work project on their place. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely going to be an incentive for them to stay enrolled. Right. But how do we leverage it to maximum effect? Like, there's been other ideas, like weed spraying, if we had crews that could do weed spraying. Um, uh, John had an idea last night with a lot of these people are marketing their own beef. And then if we were, were a marketing arm, uh, uh, advertising arm for them, like these people are in block management, buy their beef. Um, what kind of things can we do to incentivize Show that we value the hunting community values this access, and then we don't want it leased out to some douchebag from New York City. It's tough right now. I, you know, the guys who are pro hunting obviously are going to allow all their usuals, and if they're in block management, management they're going to continue that. I personally know one person in block management. I know several, but one in particular I can think of and what he does for block management I think is very minimal. And he could do a lot more. You know, he opens up very little pieces of his ranch that are he and I, anybody who knows ranching and knows topography knows that there's no wildlife in there. He opens it up for the traffic, the foot traffic. You know, you gotta get people like that to realize that there's better benefits for having more vast open acreage you know that's just a fraction of their ranch that they're putting in another guy i know pulled his ranch out of block management because of poor relationships with government policy and that you know you look at the legislation i think the bridges you're going to gap are going to be in the public relations department more so than going out and doing things for these people you know you can put a group of people together and Try to get harsher penalties for poachers, you know. Yeah, and what I've been like with this podcast, what I've been saying with my agenda personally, is that that I I'm I am not trying to pass any laws. I'm trying to get hunters to look out for other hunters, 
and hunters to band together and try to form relationships with landowners okay. to get some access. Um, so, yeah, that... And the other thing is, you know, the almighty dollar talks for a large percentage of people. You look at the people who yep. are enrolled. And again, then that, that's another problem is that the whole agenda behind what I'm doing is I have zero interest. I would ra- I would give up hunting rather than pay for it. I agree. I'm right there with you. I don't think it's a an industry that should be allowed to collect money on or to profit from. Mm-hmm. You know, I deal with... I dislike outfitters far more than any other hunter because I deal with them all the time. How, in what, in what capacity do you? Uh, them shooting about 200 yards from my house. Okay. <laughs> On the neighboring property. Yep. Okay. I have a neighboring property where this outfitter, I have such a high traffic rate of outfitting by my house. Yes, you do. That it just <laughs> cannot handle it some days. Mm-hmm. You know, they get out of their vehicle on my side of the fence. They walk across my property to get across the fence into their property when they could just drive another quarter of a mile up. Yep. I know. God, I know right where you're talking, man. Do you get approached by outfitters very often? No, I do not. But I do know that they're just, they have a very large ranch that they can hunt. Yep. And they always seem to be very close by me. 30 plus sections. 60. Okay. I knew it was there's, plus, there's but I... 40,000 yeah. acres there. And it is all... It's a great ranch, obviously. Yeah, and it's... And it okay, so we got to... I want to ask, do you have any advice for us? Is this going to do a damn thing? I think it is. I think the more people you get on board, the more positive impact you can make. I think you can start swaying some of this stuff because these high-dollar hunters are hurting themselves along the way. You know, I have to call my neighbor and yell at the landowner for their paid hunters screwing up all the time. You know, that's going to come to a head at some point. Otherwise, I have to involve law enforcement. And you hate to do that with your neighbor because you don't want to ruin that relationship. But at some point, enough is enough. So you're going to have issues like that where these paid hunters are so entitled. Entitlement's the word that fits them because they pay money. Yes. They think they can do whatever they want, wherever they want. If they see a big mule deer buck across the fence on me, they're going to shoot it. I'm not watching them. I don't have time to go over and see them. And I know that I know they have, but there's no proof. There's nothing you can do about that. But eventually this entitlement is going to catch up with them and it's going to sour the average landowner on having them on their property. And I think that that's where your opportunity lies is coming into these guys who have had these, Rich hunters come out for years or outfit it and just abuse the land. They tear the roads up. They go out when it's muddy because they pay, pay They pay the lease. It doesn't matter. They go out. They tear the roads up. They put two-foot ruts in them. They don't care. They'll drive their pickup wherever they want. They can't get where they want to go. They chain it up. They tear it up some more. You know, these are complaints I've heard from landowners. So that opportunities like that is going to be people coming out of the private lease and more into block management because block management manages the hunting. They don't want to manage the hunting. That's the whole reason for having an outfitter. They don't want to have people knocking on their door and say no to everybody. Some people can't say no. I'm probably one of them, you know. Yeah. Come up to me, I have a no, this is really no. insightful. Like a mixture of financial compensation, like what they get now, and it's gonna increase as near as I can tell. Yeah, so there is there is some proposed legislation that has a lot of support to look at the block management program to increase compensation 
and House, look, Bill, House Bill 58. Correct. And yep. look at, and I don't know what the status of that is, but also look at the formula. So not necessarily that it takes 100 days to get there, but the quality of the hunt. And, and that's something that I don't know where that's going to go, but it is being looked at because that is a concern for a lot of folks that get into block management is it's just too much, right? And then, and a lot of folks that are in block management, it's a financial, but it's it's not necessarily they're doing it for the money. They're, they're doing it because they enjoy the people. Um, they enjoy opening their ranch. And it's really no different than Brennan in a, in a sense is that they... He manages his ranch as he sees. It, it doesn't include outfitting or leasing. Um, on the block management side, they do it for their reasons. And what we need to do is sweeten the pot for the reasons to either stay in block management or get in block management. So what you guys are doing is very good because you're just sweetening the pot. You're not, you're not changing the whole system. And but I, what I would say is what I think is important for you guys moving forward is when we're talking about work days, a lot of a lot of ranchers are very concerned with liability. We've had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Liability and... They, that somebody would get hurt while they're correct, doing the, correct. the work. And the other thing, yeah. too, is they have a certain way of doing things on the ranch. It, it, and it could be as simple as building a fence. I need it done this way. And there's... You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's these folks that it's... Yes, yes, there's a certain... <laughs> but I'm not... Brand, for the listening audience, Brent is pointing at himself. But I, I know, I know these folks. I think where I think where you guys can get a lot of traction is, is and you're do, already doing this, is using the hunters and in, in the game wardens in the department to know what people need. Like, and we've done this recently. Yes. You know, we've had some landowners that have had some issues, hard times, yeah. and some things happened out of their control. That's where you guys can come in. And... But doing something like building a stackyard, which is, that's a heavy lift for a rancher, to be honest. That's a lot of work. Yep. You put 20 guys on a crew, and he says, I need it built this way. And, and it's going to be tough <laughs> for him to just so, do this and walk away. But, but what I'm saying is, that's a specific project that is labor-intensive. Yes. Right? Yep. So if you go and do that, and they want it done a certain way. You better be ready to be told to do it. So, so here's the interesting. The interesting answer to that is when we did our when we did our fence removal project, mm-hmm. the rancher was there with his bobcat, mm-hmm. and he sat in his bobcat and ran his bobcat. We did all the manual stuff. Mm-hmm. They can be the same kind of deal mm-hmm. building the stackyard. Hey, you know what, rancher? You sit in your piece of machinery and you tell us how you want it done. And when something a post needs to be driven, he all he's got all the help. He's there running his machinery, telling him how to do it. One of the big things too is that is kind of goes unseen is something as simple as a rancher needing a bottle of vaccine. Honestly, yeah. I mean they're busy. They're not close to town, and they need vaccine. If you make that relationship, I mean, I'm talking just little stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like you bet we'll have it there in, in an hour. Yep. I'm gonna and, and all you do is you go down the vet, pick it up, and you're running it out there. So I'm gonna t- I'm gonna I'm gonna just inject another idea there. So we have we have pardon the pun, huh? Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 have in southeast Montana. We have some years we have horrible horrible rangeland fires, mm-hmm. and the community comes together. A lot. And I know in your area, there's several ranchers that come together with their equipment. They're fighting this fire. There's nothing worse than the public showing up to watch this shit and be in the way. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, groups can get together. They can they can go and get 
water, supplies, food. That's and funny. in a lot of cases, and I've done this a couple times, local grocery store in town here one time loaded me up with a whole pickup truck full of bottled water. Mm-hmm. I took it out to the fire. Here it is. We got BLM fighters. We got we got state people. We got ranchers. We got people that know a little bit about a fire coming to help put that thing out. I showed up with a, with a pickup truck load of cased water. There's things like that you can do. But I, I would caution on the fire thing. If you don't know about fire, don't go to help put the fire out. You're, Bring, putting, you're putting an idea in my mind like, so we have a website now. I don't know if you've looked yep, at it, Todd. Yep. So we, Montana Hunters for Access has a website. You could almost have it be that, or a mailing list or something like that. What if when it, if an urgent need emerges, mm-hmm. that you yes. there's, a, there's a call to arms and like guys from Billings, guys from Bozeman, guys from Minnesota, if they wherever, yeah, yeah. be like. All right, you know, you value public access. Here's a, a, a property that's rolled in block management and they have a need right now. You know, yeah, send that's, some, that's, send, that's, come over, give some help. Um, I don't know. They need a plumber. Is there any plumbers out there? We can get a plumber. I don't know. You know, when, when, when these fires happen and there's big stuff like that going down, there are so many things that need to be taken care of. So many things. I guess what I would what I would say is, you don't have to look too big on this. I think it's just the like like I said, maybe I'm off base here. But we gotta start small anyway. No, no. So. I mean, what you I don't know what it would look like, but I think you're on the right track with the call to arms thing. Is it's basically, Brennan needs whatever it is, and he's up to his eyeballs in calves on the ground. Can someone run to town? Can someone go there and bring it out to me? That's because there, there's not a lot of labor with that. No, nope. there's not a lot of concern from the rancher that things get done right. He just needs it, and he needs it quick. That is so interesting. It could almost be like an app on your phone. Well, like, in, in, it could be. It could be, and, there, and there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. You brought something up with the plumbers. There's a lot of people that have numerous family. They have friends, and they know grandkids because that person fixed something. They had a skill, right? Yeah. But even then, it's that's probably. You know, there's a lot to that, but just little stuff. Um, little stuff. You know, and, and I, I need I need a, a roll of wire. I need three rolls of wire. It's sitting at the local whatever. Parts. In parts. Parts. Parts runs, is another thing. Yeah. I mean, oh, this is this is great. So, so and, and and I want to make this clear. This isn't just for Montana people. No, there this could be. This states. could go to other states. I mean, I'm like yeah, calling yeah. on hunters in other states to pull it together. And put together a group, and you can call it Hunters for Access in whatever state if you want, or whatever your name is. Mm-hmm. Other hunters in other states need to pull it together because there's landowners that need the same kind of respect there. But there's there's a little bit of education with this too, because when you do these things, let's say you do it and you want to visit, if 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 a rancher needs a vaccine, he doesn't have time to visit. No, but even that, just hey, I put it on your front step. Right. Yep. Yeah, come yeah. back later, and you yeah. can and you can be and you don't eat, and you can be a ghost. Yeah, and still benefit from that. Yeah, if they stay in the program, you've reached your goals. You've, you've kept is, it in is, there. Is, is there anything we're saying there that's like, like Brendan is saying? Yeah, you know, I would do something like that. This maybe. is gonna. I'm gonna take it one step further and see if it's even a possibility. You know, new to this whole thing, block management included. 
what if this organization that you're looking at forming or forming and starting is a membership type deal that could somehow become state sponsored and you could have block management areas for members of this group? Is that a possibility? Without having to open up to We've thought about that. Kinda. Of. We've kinda of, we've kinda of thought we about kind, that. We we kinda of, so there's been a lot of renditions of this Montana Hunters for Access and we came around to trying to foster access for the entire hunting community instead of just for ourselves. But like at some point it's gotta the ask has got to be if we're going to do stuff to help with access for everybody, that the state has got to take the training piece more seriously. There's got to be, whether it's training landowners and how to act on private lands and, and also more enforcement when they, when they do stupid shit. Um, but yeah, we came down on the side of trying to increase access for the entire hunting community i am not opposed if that becomes futile to having it be for people that want to get involved yep and if you're involved then you're part of the deal anybody can do it you know you can join you guys and go out and help whoever that's all it takes yep but you know from my standpoint you hate to see the guy who didn't do a thing benefit from everybody else's work because that is not the country we live in and another thing is, is that guy is more prone to doing something stupid. Absolutely. So there's, I, yeah. So yeah, we're just we are totally spitballing with all of this stuff. You know, we just decided we wanted to try to do something to prevent it be, be from going all the good hunting to going to the guy with the top dollar. You know, so like I, yeah, that's what this is a great conversation because we're coming up with ideas and. Yeah, and we're hearing it from a rancher. Yeah, which which and and I would be willing to bet uh, that there are more ranchers that feel that way. There's going to be some that don't feel that way at all, but there's going to be some. You know, it's funny as as I look at as I look at the ranch community, and I know probably ninety percent of them. Ninety nine point nine. Yeah. Um, just for if you guys, anybody that's guys and gals, gals and guys that haven't heard John's podcast before, John is a Tractor salesman and repairman, and he knows everybody in Eastern Montana, basically. Yeah, so. a lot of them, and and some are going to be for it. Some are going to turn their nose up at no. You will never get everybody, but, that, but you're yeah. never going to get everybody. And so, I think it's important to know that I I I, I agree with everybody's with every rancher. I understand where they're coming from. And all I have to do is be good enough to change their mind. You know, I think we've reached a convenient stopping point. And one thing I'd say in closing, and you know, any any closing remarks you guys have is welcome. But so we, this podcast term episode turned in, into us throwing out some ideas, you know, and maybe people listening to this like we got we're getting six seven hundred listeners an episode now. Maybe somebody out there's got even more ideas. Yeah. The idea is how do the hunting community, how does the hunting community band together, provide the support to the landowners that they need to facilitate public access going forward? Yep. So reach out to us at huntquietly 
at gmail.com if you've got any more ideas. We always, always need more help with everything we're doing. So if you're willing to help and you got ideas, please reach out. Any other I, I would like thoughts? to say in closing that my, my, my hat is off to Brendan, an unbelievable conservationist, honest person. I'm with him all the way. I understand what he's saying. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you very much for giving us your thoughts. We're never going to give up on that case. I know. We'll get it. <laughs> That's my and, and, and again, and again, thank you, Todd Anderson, for the work you guys do at your office, all the wardens in town here. Yep. Um, you guys get beat up a lot of times publicly, and it ain't even your fault. You get beat up by the... Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to respond to this, but you get to beat up by your own administration. <laughs> well, we we do a good job of just putting our heads down and, and doing the job. Eastern Montana yeah. does have outstanding wardens. Every one oh. of them I've met, I've worked yeah, yeah. with. I'm glad to hear that. That's Fallon awesome. County, Custer yeah. County, yeah. Powder yeah. River County. I've met a lot of them, and that's great. Obviously, they're all humans. Yeah, that you can yeah. cultivate a relationship. I mean, with. I, I met Todd 30 <laughs> years ago a now, long time ago, 30 years ago, and and yeah. and, and 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 yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like I say, I appreciate it. That's thank, great. thank you so much for what your office does. Yes. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody.